I'm Aaron Patzer, the co-founder and CEO of Vital. And I'm Felix Brand, a Vice President of Data Science at Vital. They have a terrific product that they have all launched today. We're going to hear all about it. I think it's something that will resonate with everyone and anyone that's been to the doctor and had questions about what, hmm. what was being told to them. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, robots, and everybody in between, especially you HTTTA alums, we're so glad you're back and we're back and we're all together again. This is HTTTA, How to Talk to AI. I am your host, Wes the Synthmind, Synthmind Wes. Hope in a galaxy gleaming with gigabytes, where glistening gadgets govern and algorithms galvanize our gleeful future. One gallant, graceful, and glowing voice gears up to demystify the grand, to grapple with the gigantic, and glide through the glamorous gauntlets of artificial intelligence. Who may you ask? Let's miss go to go. Gee, how are you this week? Hello, I can tell you I missed this introduction for sure. I'm excited, but we are back. We took yes. a little break, but it was very healthy break to recoup. It's also summer. Everything very much slowed down. Yes, Didn't does. you feel that? I did. I did indeed. We were still go, go, go. Pardon the <laughs> second half of your last name with our little trip out west. So now that you are fully back, because we had a call during everything, you were like fully branded. I know that you had some exciting talks. So yeah. please update us. I'm excited to hear. So the one that I think was pretty special that was really cool to see was Sal Khan from Khan Academy. He presented Conmigo, which is their $90 a year AI tool that really encourages students to use generative AI, but kind of as a companion through the, uh, the learning process. And there's a lot of ed tech around some of these type of platforms, but I think the most innovative thing that they were offering is Conmigo becomes, for writing papers, for example, actually how they submit the paper to the teacher. So the instructor gets what they essentially are turning in but it has an audit report of the amount of time they spent on it, what they did with the AI, mm. how they interacted with it. And I thought that was a pretty innovative way about thinking about how to embrace AI technologies. But I would say the one thing that really surprised me, and maybe this is just because I'm new to the space and this is just the way it goes. A lot of big companies here doing keynote presentations, panels, breakout rooms across the board, and they have different tiers of sponsors, right? This is a very much a pay-to-play kind of game where there's a lot of presentations that were clearly for press release and shareholder benefit. So they could say, hey, we presented at an AI conference. I have to say, as someone who worked in marketing for B2B, specifically for B2B, trade shows, this kind of conferences, this is ginormous business. And this is how you go. I used to work with PR agency, with event agency. Everything would be planned. And you put your CEO on stage with our panelists. So I have a spare share of skepticism towards conferences and especially at this scale. Because at the end of the day, it's a big promo for companies. We would used to send our whole sales team to do networking, to connect with people. So... It does what it has to do, but yeah, usually people pay heavy price to be there to promote their products. So let's just say that we were glad that we didn't have to pay thanks to this podcast. Aside from that kind of revelation that I guess news to me, but par for the course, 
in a in this kind of world. And I've definitely experienced that applying to other conferences as either a speaker or for press purposes. They're like, you can sponsor us and then you can talk. It's mm -hmm. like, what about the democratization of information? What about mm -hmm. just good quality people talking about good quality AI, not tainted by the corporate business the corporate shareholder? Oh yeah, I guess there's that. Some great networking opportunities, met some wonderful people. And also too interesting to see some of the vendors on the floor that were there. You see your perennial big consulting firms, Deloitte. Deloitte's got a booth with couches and you could come sit and hang out and have a chat. It's not just like a folding table like some of the startups. But I think the most interesting group of companies, and then I think this is a real emerging sector that if there are some startups in this space, keep track of them. There's a bunch of companies to do and handle error handling from language models. So to combat hallucinations, like anything from companies that have just a layer that gets inserted between the language model and the output to evaluate the different dashboards, but entire business processes built solely around making sure LLMs don't hallucinate. I'm so glad that you brought this up. I'm happy to share with listeners that I finally finished testing 432 AI writing tools. Bad person. I recorded myself like on 300, I think, because I was just like in a mess, in a bun. And I was just like, I'm losing my mind. First of all, I getting this, how to say it. I don't want to use negativity because that's another thing. Like, but just starting despising some of the startups who just quickly spin off things which are yeah. not good. So that's one that like just simple lack of effort. Another thing is like websites who are clear scams. I yeah. was just like in some, I tested, but there are some websites where I was like, I'm not giving even a fake email to you. Like this is just not even, probably it's scary that you got my IP address when I visited. And a bunch of them from the list also don't even exist anymore. Wow. So, so even but, in the about a week, just vaporized. Yeah. So in the list, I marked the ones which website not existing anymore. And others, I had uh, four categories. I had don't touch, neutral, and interesting, and recommending. So for our listeners, this is Gota released a video where she, because she's a crazy person, is the only way to describe it, tested 432 AI writing tools. Now, there's Probably this is still just a drop in the bucket of what's out there. Right. The way I went about it, because there is many AI tools databases. So I went and checked different ones and to see how much they have. GPTE.ai had the most. So then I just used free web scraper, pulled all the data from there and then created. Yeah, in the beginning Excel, but when I moved to Notion, it's nicer interface to me. And then just started going. And I remember after 80, I was like, I am exhausted. And this is 80. Like, of course, then I started getting a feel. When I opened website, I started getting, okay, I can immediately tell if it's something legit, if it's good. I have in my head drilled the credit amounts, the average pricing. So just after like hundreds, I, I open pricing and I'm like immediately can tell credit ratio, word ratio versus the price. And I'm like, this is bullshit. This is way too much. Because you would have a company charging $30 for 5,000 words, and then you have another company charging 15 for 
10,000. It seems in most cases, like there is some randomness. I guess with startups just go, we don't know. There is, everything is new. So people pay, people don't know. I wanted to understand the space because we always say, oh, there's so many tools every day. And I was like, okay, but off top of my head, I know five to eight, which everyone uses, like including Jasper. And another thing I would just say that the reason I went for AI writing tools was because not everyone is using images or video for that sake, or even 3D, but writing text, everybody uses that in their business or at least in their daily life, just reading stories to their kids, ChatGPT made. So there is a bunch of storybooks as well. If there is any McKinsey people here or Deloitte people, if you need an expert in AI writing tools who from top of her head can immediately tell what's good, what's bad, you have to go very much in depth because I was just trying really, I don't want to say on a surface level, but just what is the UX, what is the pricing, what is the process, what is playing with a couple of prompts. I think in the specific use cases, I don't know, writing academic paper, like I can't physically test that, but like. I can see already from everything that they put out that it could be solid. In some, I started also looking on what they are based on, a lot of GPT-4, a lot of ones which promise a lot. And then you actually sign up, you give them email, you start the free trial, and then you find out that, oh, it's coming, Claude is coming. Okay, so another thing what I did then, I went through the whole thing, I took CSV file out of this, which I also recommend people to do. And I used Professor Synapse prompt, went into a code interpreter and was just like, let's analyze this data. Like, what do we get? Overall, you start seeing this like overarching teams like SEO, huge one, like so many companies doing SEO, general writing. I can immediately tell if a startup is just doing that, just basically if you're a startup and you're covering everything, you are both doing marketing stuff. Oh, you also write essays. Oh, you also write poems. Immediately, I would be like, that's that I've seen, oh my God, like 50 probably, if not more of that. And at some point, they are exactly the same and not interesting at all. But on the flip side, the startups which actually discovered unique use cases, that what caught my eye. And then this is also what I asked ChatGPT. I was like, okay, let's analyze everything here from descriptions, from keywords, from pricing from categories that they selected, which are the areas which could be explored. So for example, the one for patent writing, there is one startup, one startup who does that. Here you go. If you are a startup and you're thinking, okay, let us just, we have access to ChatGPT, let's just push that. And then we do everything and we just put some prompts we got on internet in the background. Because, you know, like after prompt a service and prompt perfect working with them, like I can tell that in a background where is prompt perfect working. If we say that, okay, on the tools which are delivering a lot. So what I meant that startups, if they're just doing general writing for everything and you pay, you get a lot. In that case, from all of them, still Jasper seemed the best. And they have this new function where you prompt for the use case and when it creates your interface so you just fill in things so for example i couldn't find for value proposition and i was just like oh i want template for value proposition immediately boxes insert this type of information that type of information that's all and jasper like a fun tip to everyone if you start the free trial it's seven days 
if you cancel that free trial, they offer you another seven days. If after that you cancel, they still will give you three months for free or something discount. Because I started so many free trials and this is like the issue now that I have to cancel everything. And I think what I also wanted to do with this that people can see pricing, can make a decision. What is the value? Like how much do you actually get for that price? But for unique use cases, I think it was called, yeah, it's film flow. So this real sound is super easy integration. Like how it's done, it's with, you work with OpenAI API. So, you know, he's not getting anything. It's completely for free, but it breaks down movies and their storylines with the sentiment analysis. So you get this visual. And as someone who is making videos and like taps into learning about storytelling, how to engage audience, what is the emotions and plot lines, I found it super interesting. And plus that it's in a way free. The guy is not collecting any money from that. So that was something I did not expect. Memoirs with AI, which you can write and it prints a book and it sends you emails about your family member and everyone kind of writes up and it pulls all together. Letters with AI, physical letters into your post box. Only one was for spicy little short stories. And the reason I'm mentioning this, because you know how hard it is to overcome the rules and regulations put by OpenAI. So that we're actually prompting in a way that you can still get a little bit of spiciness. Well, talking a little bit about tools, I wanted to share with the listeners a little bit of an extract from a conversation I had the pleasure of having with the CEOs from the healthcare company Vital. Vital Vital.io is chaired by Aaron Patzer who was the founder of Mint.com, sold to Intuit for $170 million before he came around. And his CTO as well, Felix Brown, they have a really, truly breakthrough HIPAA-compliant AI healthcare companion that basically improves patient outcomes. You can take a whole bunch of doctor's notes, it'll translate it into plain English. Simple as that. I encourage you to take a listen, give them a try, vital.o slash translate. Such a revolutionary product, and I think one of the first truly disruptors in the AI healthcare scene. Welcome to a joint episode mm-hmm. of the Prompt Engineering Podcast and, and the How to Talk to AI Podcast. <laughs> We've got some awesome guests. So go ahead and introduce yourselves, guys. Yeah, I'm Aaron Patzer, the co-founder and CEO of Vital. And I'm Felix Brand, a Vice President of Data Science at Vital. And they have a terrific product that they have all launched today. We're going to hear all about it. I think it's something that will resonate with every everyone and anyone that's been to the doctor and had questions about what hmm. what was being told to them. Yes, yeah. I already tested it after watching your talk. Cool, really? Yeah. So I have sleep apnea. Yeah. I put in a long diagnosis with a bunch of stuff that I'm like, okay, I think I know what that yeah. is. I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. And it was like sleep apnea. It's obstructive. Yeah. And two other things. Yeah. Go. Fantastic. Okay, that's great. Yeah. I, I think, like we said, what person hasn't seen a a whole long list of doctor's notes or even been in a situation where you're maybe in an inpatient in the hospital and then doctor on rounds is coming by and telling you something at a million miles a minute because he's got 20 other yeah. people to see but it's probably important because it affects your own health and being and like you're probably already out of it anyway because you're in the hospital what a terrific yeah. way to doctor's some. notes are really almost like a foreign language yeah um, as i said in my talk Doctors don't say nosebleed. They say epistasis. They don't say, hey, your mom has had a stroke. They say, oh, she's had a cerebral infarction. They use all of these abbreviations. It's almost impossible to 
understand. And so we used a large language model as the core of what we call our doctor to patient translator. And it's at uh, vital.io slash translates, free to the public, available worldwide, literally as of today. You're just catching me awesome. at, a, at a good time. And we're happy to tell you a bit about the the prompts, the classifiers, the pre-parsing, all the things that happen to make that possible, technically. Yeah. I would love to delve into some of the technical aspects. Maybe there's a better question for Felix. Could you tell us a little bit about how the model was maybe trained, uh, what data was used to be able to produce these great completions? Sure. We've tried a number of different prompts because there are actually a lot of different types of doctor's notes. Mm -hmm. And with the public facing stuff, we know that we're going to get the whole gamut from imaging all the way to discharge instructions. Mm -hmm. And we know how important that stuff is. There's a whole bunch of literature. People, when they get their paper discharge instructions, upwards of 90% of them chuck them straight in the bin as yeah. soon as they leave the hospital. And the literature is super clear when people understand their care and understand the follow-up instructions the doctors are giving them, their care situation is way, way better. Makes sense. Yeah. So we've looked at different prompts for different situations and then built a pre-model classifier, pre-LLM classifier, okay. also using a language model with a smaller one, um, uh, deciding which of our various prompts should be applied to the notes, so mm -hmm. categorizing the notes. Yep. And then we have a whole bunch of post-parsing that comes out. We take sections out of a translation. We plug those sections into different parts of the website. Maybe when you saw it, you could see that you get like a very brief summary and then also a much more sort of technical breakdown. Yes. So yeah. we're getting the LLM to pull out like a lot of information uh, about what's in your yeah. doctor's note, but we want to show you in like a digestible summary first. Yeah. I think an important piece of context is a lot of these doctor's notes, they're 10 or 15 pages long and they have 80% boilerplate. Yeah. They have, a, yep. hey, don't smoke or I don't. Um, hey, here's COVID education. Okay, you're two years out of date. And they put a lot of filler in there. And this is actually just a fraction of our primary business. Our primary business is patient experience software. It guides you mm -hmm. through an ER visit, or if you have to stay overnight in the hospital, explains your lab results, how long you're going to wait, and then what your notes mean. Yeah. And so because we have the ex experience with a million patients that you're using it, we know the structure of note from all over the country. Yeah. Oh. And so we can pre-parse, and instead of a 10 or 15 page, we can get it down to actually we only need to pass three or four pages into the LLM. Wow. That's an important business and engineering consideration because cost mm -hmm. and speed. Mm. Also context window. Yeah. If you're doing, especially if you're using few shot training with an LLM, which is a good idea so that you know what output you want to get, you'll blow through you know, your prompt, your few shot, your, your data, and then your output has to fit into a, a 4K window or a 16K yep. window. Uh, and so you need to do a few things to give yourself as much buffer mm -hmm. yeah. as mm -hmm. uh, possible beforehand. That, yeah, that makes complete sense with yeah. having the almost sub prompts acting like little sub agents themselves yeah. trained to say, just get rid of all the boilerplate stuff that's not unique, unique to that patient's differential diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So deciding which part you're going to do more or less with your own code or your own classifiers and then how much to send, especially if you're using a, like a commercial LM. And we've used both. Felix has got Llama up and running Llama and two, yeah. Llama 2, yeah. MedPalm LM from Google, which mm -hmm. is medical specific. Obviously, the OpenAI, we can't actually use OpenAI directly. You have to use it through Azure because you... You need this to be HIPAA compliant, sovereign oh, to right. trust. We're in a regulated yes. industry. OpenAI will not sign all of those things. You actually yeah. have to like work your way through corporate Microsoft 
Yep. They'll, they'll determine whether you're a worthwhile person or not and whether they're willing to take the risk. And then you have to sign these contracts. And so if you put all of it, you can, with a sophisticated prompt, put it all through like a GPT. You can say, classify this. Is this a discharge report? Is this um, a physical therapy report? Or is this a hostile input? By the mm. way, you should always protect against hostile input. Yeah. Is yes. this a non-English input? Yeah. Is this something else entirely? So mm -hmm. you want, and, and then in your prompt, you can say, based on the classification, then do this. But if you do all that, your prompt starts to get very complicated and very big. You can use that to prototype, but when you go into production, this is also very slow, it gets very expensive. You run a classifier that's much simpler and much quicker on yeah. top of it, and then you don't have the expense, your prompt's shorter. And then you can say, if it's this, go to this prompt. If it's that, go to that prompt. Yeah. You can also templatize prompts. So if you say, I want the output in Spanish, you can put a variable in your prompt. So the prompts don't think of them as static strings. Think of them as a programming language that is frankly pseudocode. Yeah. One of the things that this is a bit like medical specific, but the part that's very important to patients is the plan and assessment, what the doctor says you're supposed to do. Here's the problem. At some hospitals, it's called plan and assessment. At other hospitals, it's called assessment. At other hospitals, it's called plan. At other hospitals, it's, it's got like an abbreviation. And with classic programming, if I say match panda and I give it pandas with a plural, it's like, no. Or you got a space in your column header. Exactly. But with an LM, I can just be like, it's going to be called this or probably this. It's got stuff that kind of looks like yeah. this. Yeah. And like, it's good enough that if I explained it to you guys, you'd be like, oh, okay, I know what you're looking for. That's the power of LLMs is you can give them vague pseudocode. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that's mind blowing. This guy actually knows the math behind how that's possible. Nice. So real quick, before we get into that, just for the audience, part of what I do on my podcast is like, what are all these technical terms? Content window, number one, is literally how much stuff you're putting into the prompt, but also how much it's putting out. And if you do too much, it forgets the stuff outside the, the prompt window, sorry, the context window. And so you have to be careful how long everything is. That's what they're talking about when you're saying, if I can pull pieces of the prompt out and only run them separately, it's way better. It's a key reason to innovate on your own models because for a long time, you were working with this 4K context window. And right. if you're doing this few shot in context learning, as Aaron says, you just run through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also I'm the CEO as well as, maybe you can tell I have a bit of an engineering background, not as, not as good right. as this guy. I don't have to... A British accent. <laughs> That's true. It also that adds 20. Exactly. We're here for the grammar, right? right. <laughs> yes. But as a CEO, I have to think through the economics, right? So if you were using GPT-4 and you give it the 16K window or the 32K window, the, the maximum one, it's going to cost you, if you fully fill that, mm -hmm. it's going to cost you about 48 cents per translation Ooh. or transformation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a million patients on our platform. They have about five notes each. If you do the Whoa. math on that and you're spending $5,000 a day, yeah. if that's what you do, you don't need to. You use smaller context windows or you use 3.5 Turbo or you run Llama yeah. or you use one LLM to pre-parse for a different LLM. Mm -hmm. You can do, those yeah. are the tricks that like practically speaking, this is immature <laughs> industry because you have to hand do all of that. Yeah. And what's really interesting is some of these problems are really exciting and new. As Aaron says, you're trying to pull out something that's very undefined in free text document. Okay, so that's, you need some modern stuff to do that. But some of these problems are pretty traditional. Yep. Classifying a document and you've got plenty of examples. Mm -hmm. You don't need to go and use your OpenAI LLM to right. do these classification problems. We've been doing this for a long time and you can do them a lot cheaper. 
Yeah, it's slow and expensive to use OpenAI or Google or Meta for yeah. basic classification, but it's great for prototyping. So the key insight is work out the piece that you really need the expensive tech for yeah. and mm -hmm. ensure that you boil down the problem only to that using other pieces of technology upstream. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you handle like the, the if you have all these prompts essentially acting as agents and you have to have this sequence occur in a, a specific order, mm -hmm. how do you asynchronously, is there a specific layer that's doing the handoff? Are they doing the... Are they doing a turnover at rounds between mutexes, synchronization? Yeah, yeah, I mean, getting a little technical. So we use an event-sourced architecture. Yeah. So this is outside of AI. It basically means that we handle streaming data quite well. Mm -hmm. So we have data that's streaming from over 100 hospitals now, more or less real-time. It comes out of Cerner, Epic, whatever the electronic medical record system is. So a doctor writes a new note, finishes it, it hits our system, and goes onto the queue, uh, gets pre-parsed, classified, cut up into little bits, and then divvied out to these, these little agents. As always, you can check out the show notes and links at howtotalkto.ai. That's all for this week's episode. Happy prompting, everyone.